have a Bible nearby, uh, let's turn together to Joshua chapter 2. As you turn there, let me just take a second and welcome you uh, to the ring. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm glad to see you tonight, and I'm glad that you're with us. Uh, Tonight we're almost at the end of a series that we've been in since the beginning of the school year, going through the 11th chapter of Hebrews, which uh, has become known as the Hall of Faith, uh, because uh, the writer of Hebrews just goes, goes through and lists all these examples from, um, from the Old Testament and all these uh, names that would be very easily recognized at that time, and uh, just the, the way that this person lived by faith, and this person lived by faith, and this person lived by faith, and all these, these folks that we are, are to point to as examples of, of how to live our own lives. And uh, folks that we should pattern our lives after and things that we can learn from and grow from. And so we come to uh, almost the end. Uh, Next week will be the final Sunday in this series. Um, But I sent you to Joshua 2. We're going to get there in a second. But we're just going to look at the one verse for tonight uh, in Hebrews 11. We'll put it up on the screen. Um, It's verse 31. And it simply says this. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. All right. So, uh, to to the audience of uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews, they would have not needed uh, a ton of background to know what, what that meant. And uh, for us, we're going to go back and we're going to look in Joshua two to get all the details behind it. But the entire chapter of of Hebrews just kind of goes through and just gives just just references. Because back then they knew all the history, they knew all the details, they knew everything, and we kind of don't so much. So we've been spending some time going back through it. So let's look at Joshua 2, because that's where the account of Rahab is, is described in great detail, and see what we can learn and why, why Rahab made it into uh, Hebrews 11. So let's start in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 2. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Okay, so let's, let's hit pause for just a second. The, uh, the children of Israel had been uh, enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. Moses went in and led them out of captivity. They came across the, the Red Sea, and they walked across the, the land. Uh, it was on dry ground with the wall, uh, water being held up like walls. And so you know, a, million of, a million Hebrews walked across on dry land. They get to the other side, and they are free, and God begins to lead them to a land that he has promised them, going all the way back to Abraham, uh, the great patriarch, uh, he'd been making this promise that he was going to make them into a great nation and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through them. And so this is a part of their story. They've been delivered from oppression. Now they're free. Now God is leading them into a land that he's going to give them. And the problem is that people already live in this land. And so he's going to, uh, to lead them in battle. He's going to fight on their behalf. It's, it's this beautiful um, just orchestration of 
uh, of people taking steps of faith and those steps being empowered by the sovereign God of the universe and them just learning how to walk by faith as a nation but also as individuals. And so um, they had, had been through a couple of things where as they're moving through the land, uh, they would get attacked. And so they had kind of already had some people come against them, but Jericho was the first city that they actually went in and invaded to take. And so Joshua is sending some spies to kind of figure out the lay of the land and that kind of stuff. And that's where uh, Rahab uh, is introduced. And so he's sending these spies in to kind of check things out. Uh, so pick up in verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Okay, so there's a little trickery here. You know, uh, the king knows that, that Rahab has had contact with these guys, and she's like, oh, they totally took off. You know, go catch them. They're slow. You can totally overtake them or whatever. And the whole time she had hidden them on, on the roof or whatever. And so, um, so she was you know, a little deceptive, and okay, we'll just leave it at that. And so, you know, and that, but the thing is that the Bible doesn't, like, come after her for, like, this bit of deception. It actually, um, it, it praises her, her act of faith in choosing to... In, not being worried about what would come her way if she was found out. She knew it was more important to, to protect these men of Israel than it was if somebody found out that she was, you know, tricking them or whatever. And so, um, so that, uh, in verse 8, um, we kind of see what happens next. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. And here's, here's this, these next few verses are super important. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. She said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. 
Behold, when we, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be, we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the Lord, I'm sorry, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And you may recall from us talking about the taking of Jericho last week that when, when, they, when the walls came down and they went in to invade the city, they honored their oath to her. Um, they protected her and her household, and none of, no harm came to them. And actually, they took them afterwards. They brought them back to the Israelite camp, and she and her family became a part of the like, Israelite nation and uh, she married into Israel, and we'll get to all that stuff in a few minutes. And so, um, so that's, that's basically what happened. The spies came in. She hid them. She said, look, I've, I've hooked you up. Now you hook me up. Make sure when you guys come and, and destroy our city that uh, you take care of me and my family. They said, we'll do it. Just tie this cord in the window so we know which house is yours. Stay inside the house. Everything will be fine. And, uh, and, it, and it was. So everything had played out just like it was supposed to. Um, so, uh, so you don't need to turn to it, but go back to Hebrews 30 on the screens, if you would, Jesse. Um, so let's look at the, the verse again. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. All right? So everything that we're looking at is, it comes down to these acts of faith. These, these steps of obedience, this, this confident, um, just being assured of the things that you're hoping for, and uh, convicted and confident about the things that are yet unseen, that, that you're believing that God really is who he says he is, and he's going to do the things that he said he's going to do, that he really is as good as he describes, and that we can, can step into the unknown of the future believing that he is there, and he is ready, and he is not changing. And, and so we've gone through this whole chapter of all these examples of people who, who lived this way and took these steps, and, and we're called to the, the same types of actions, you know, in our own lives, and um, so, so tonight I have, I have two points to make, um, just to kind of organize our thoughts a little bit, and uh, here's, the, here's the first one, when it comes to uh, Rahab as an example for us, um, it's, it's a statement, so it's kind of long, so I'll, I'll read it more than once, all right, um, the first thing, you never know how God will use your obedient steps of faith to get someone's attention. All right? you, you never know how God will use your obedient steps of faith to get someone's attention. All right? But if you look back in Joshua 2, verse, verses 9, um, 9, 10, and 11, we see that, that Rahab and, and others as well, uh, they had heard about the mighty acts of God. 
Like they had heard what God had done for the Israelites. Like the, the, I hate to use the word rumors, I guess, because uh, that implies like lies. But the, the, the legend, the, the, the word, the stories, the, the um, whatever you want to call it, had spread uh, in that direction. And they had, had heard, like, did you hear what happened here? Have you heard about this? And uh, people were, were constantly, you know, they were, much like today, they were traveling all the time. But uh, obviously the travel was much slower and that kind of stuff, and so obviously Jericho being being this hub of uh, places of hospitality and places to stay as you were traveling through, it was kind of a city in the middle of nowhere, sort of, and so there are people coming from all directions, passing through and that kind of stuff, and, and so surely they're swapping stories all the time, and the stories about the Red Sea crossing had made it uh, all the way to Jericho, uh, according, like look at, look at verse 9, um, she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. All right? So they had heard that a million people walked across the Red Sea on dry land, and uh, they had heard that story, and then how the, once they were all across, and the Egyptians came after them, and the waters came in and drowned them all, and this miraculous rescue of the Lord, they had heard about this. And, and it impacted them. It wasn't just like, oh, man, that's a crazy story. Like, it, it moved them deeply. Um, in verse 11, it says, As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit in any of us because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and the earth below. They, something shifted inside when they heard it, you know. Now, we hear, you know, you... In, in our day and age, like we hear things that happen in other countries and, and things that are going on and stuff. And, and sometimes you know, it's like, man, that's really disturbing or that's really like whatever. But, but you know, the, like there was a report recently in, uh, in North Korea about how they, uh, they had all these uh, assassinations, these public assassinations where um, they would take folks who have broken some of their many ridiculous rules and they would put them in the, in the, on the floor of a stadium, and they would make the whole city come together, and they would publicly execute them because they broke these different rules, basically saying, like, this is what happens to you when you don't play by the rules that we give you, you know? Um, so you read that report, and you're like, is this real? Like, this really happened? And, and there's, it's, it's disturbing in your brain, you know? But the impact it has on your heart is probably different for some than others, but it doesn't, like... I don't know, it doesn't melt you away like it's described here, you know? Like you don't, there's not this internal like shift that happens as much. Um, and we hear these things going on in other places and even in our own country you hear things and, but, but then sometimes, you know, you, you hear a news story or you read something that's happened and, and you just, like it, it messes with your day, you know? Like it rattles you so much and you can't get it out of your head and sometimes there are things that impact us more deeply I think what's being described here is, is even deeper than that, you know. Like, it's, it's the kind of, of internal reaction, like, like the first time you really heard the gospel. Like, really heard the gospel, you know. That first time where you took communion and you, and, and you, like, you got it much more deeply than you ever had before, you know. And it's this internal shift where you're like, I'm not going to be the same after this, you know. That's what's going on here. They had heard about this, and God, like, that's the thing. You never know how God's going to use your obedient steps to get someone's attention. So here's a million people 
looking at a, a body of water that has been raised up like walls on each side, dry ground in front of them, and Moses saying, let's go across. And they take these obedient steps, and they're going, and they're going, and they're going, and they're going, and they get across. You never know how God's going to use that to spread into Jericho. And here's this woman who hears it, and she's like, something just happened in me, inside of me when I heard this. The Israelites didn't know that. They weren't like, come on, guys, let's go, because there's a lady in Jericho who really needs to know that our God's the God of heaven and earth. Let's go. They weren't thinking about her, because you never know how God's going to do that. That's the amazing thing about steps of faith, is that it's, it has this like exponential synergy-type effect on the world, where your obedient steps... God can use that to, to bless people right around you, all across the world. You just, you just don't know. We just don't know. And you see the, the next part of the verse. Um, so we heard about the Red Sea crossing and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, who you devoted to destruction. That's the Israelites are moving forward, and it's these, these groups of people that would come and attack them. And God would be like, oh, no, that's not how this works. And so he'd be like, he would, they would basically just take care of it. They would devote them to destruction. In other words, they would put them down. So you're like, okay, so we heard about him. He parted the Red Sea. You walked across it on dry land. And so far, everyone who's come at you has been completely destroyed. So your God, your God is not like all these other gods. There's something different about your God. Um, God was using those steps of faith, crossing the Red Sea, go, battling as people were coming at you, battling them and putting them down and devoting them to destruction. God was using those steps of faith to get the attention of people ahead of them. So faithfulness has this, uh, I might be using these terms wrong, but I think like exponential growth, I think synergy, you know, uh, one plus one equals three, like that kind of thing. Like there's, it's something that's always, it's always so much bigger than we realize and we don't really know. And so what God has done is he's given us the scriptures and he said, okay, um, you trust me with all your heart. You don't rely on your own understanding of things, but you acknowledge me, bring me into everything that's going on. I'll make your path straight. I'm your shepherd. You won't want for anything I'll lead you to green pastures, still waters. Uh, everything is going to be fine. Even, even when that path leads you into the worst things you can imagine, I'm with you. You don't need to be afraid. My faithfulness and my, my strength, they're there to protect you. Um, I will, I'll pursue you with, with my steadfast love. I will, um, I will go before you. I'll strategically craft your life. You just take these steps. You take these steps. You take these steps. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because you don't know what I'm going to use to connect with everybody. You don't. So you just, you just worry about walking. Let me worry about the other stuff. So really, the scriptures tell us uh, we're commanded in, in the best way possible to just, you just reenact the gospel over and over and over and over again. And just let the Lord do with it whatever he wants. You just re- you reenact the gospel. You live a life of self-sacrificing love to the people around you, to your spouse, to your kids, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to the random strangers you come encounter with. You, you, you put their good ahead of yourself. You walk in humility. You bring me into everything. And 
you let me do whatever I want with your life from there. That's what walking by faith does, because you and I, we, we never know what's going to happen, you know. Um, I, wrote, I made this, this note here that may not make sense, but I, I was looking at Hebrews 11, and it has like, kind of like this domino effect. You know, it starts, uh, we kind of cover, cover so much ground where it's like, um, if there were a, if you were looking at it on a timeline sense, it's like one thing is impacted by the thing before it, and the thing before it, and the thing before it, you know. So we're going all the way back to the garden, and God creating everything, and we look at uh, Cain and Abel, and um, the faith of, of Abel, and then it, it just goes forward in time, and go forward in time, and forward in, t- in time, and and you can't help but get the sense that Hebrews 11 like, is almost like, like there was a domino that was pushed over, but not like a bunch of dominoes in a row, like one of those like, crazy ones where it's like one goes to two, goes to three, and it like, just fans out you know, and does some crazy design thing all over the place. Like something like that, where one act of faith, kind of, it kind of doubles, you know, and it has a bigger impact, and it has a bigger impact and a bigger impact. Hebrews 11 seems to kind of show that like cascading domino effect and and but your life is the same way my life is the same way you know like we can we can look at the ways that god has um led us and and caused us to step out in faith and those kind of things but but if you back up into your life someone like other people have acted into your life as well and people act into their life and their life and their life and um i was trying to think of a good example and here's Here's an example. It may not be a good one, but um, in, when I was, uh, I guess, in my fourth year, my first senior year of college, as I like to call it, um, and I got a phone call that was like, um, hey, this is Jim Wallace from Parkview Baptist, and I want, you to, I want to see if I can meet with you. And so at the time, I was uh, working at another church in youth ministry, and uh, I was at Zor, and I was a youth intern, and one of the best youth ministers I've ever seen on the planet was the youth guy, and we had just done this camp where, um, like, the day that we left for camp, we had to order, like, three more charter buses because the people, the kids kept signing up, and we go to camp, and, like, all this amazing, like, Jesus stuff happened, and we get back from camp, and it was just, it was unbelievable, and, uh, things were going really well, I guess. I had no reason to, like, run away from that situation, and, but a couple weeks before that, Jim would call me and said, hey, I want to sit down with you. So I go in and sit down with him, and um, he says, I, want to, I have this, uh, this idea that I believe the Lord is in. I want to start a college worship service on Sunday nights after our evening service to try to recall students because we don't have any college students coming here, really. And uh, you know, he said, I just, the Lord's put it on my heart. And he put it on my heart to call you up, sit down, talk to you about it, and see if you would come work for us and do that, you know. And uh, he's like, what do you think about that? So I, being full of faith, laughed at him, really, uh, in a very nice way. But I was like, well, um, one, I'm in a really good situation right now. Uh, Two, I don't think anybody's going to come to anything like this. Because do you know how far Parkview is from the LSU campus? You know, and uh, it's just far away. And three, at the time, the chapel on the campus was doing a thing called Sunday Nights which uh, it's kind of like, for those of you who know what the refuge is, it's kind of like that, but it was the predecessor to that for them. And uh, 
I was like, so if college students are going to go to something on a Sunday night, they're going to go to that because it's really good and they do it really well. I don't think they're going to drive all the way out to Parkview to do something that we're not real sure about or whatever. And um, I don't know. I was just really like, I just don't think that's something I want to do and I don't think it's going to work. Super encouraging meeting for him, I'm sure. And so, uh, so he was like, well, I, he's like, I just want you to pray about it because it's really some God's put on my heart. And so, um, so I did. I prayed about it and felt like the Lord was saying, no, this is something, this is something that I want you to do. I didn't really think, I still didn't think it was going to work, but I felt like I was supposed to, you know, whatever. And so, um, so, so Jim took a step of faith and he, he went to bat and he got the staff on board with some things and pulled a little money into it and that kind of stuff. So he, he, he sensed the Lord leading him and he took a step of faith and then, uh, he, put it on me, and so then I had to take, take a step of faith, but I'm like a massive chicken, so I was like, immediately start recruiting all my friends to come to this, because we're going to do this together, right? And they're like, no, this is your deal. I was like, no, we, we're in it, right? And, and so I did what he did. I was like, y'all just start, why don't y'all pray with me about this? And friends started praying, and that kind of stuff. We started looking at the calendar, and I made the move from one church staff to another, and we looked at a Picked a target Sunday night, and so we're going to start. We're going to do it on this night, and we did. And there was about 30 of us, which was uh, exactly 29 more than I thought we were going to be there. And, um, and it, was, it was kind of fun. We were like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And people were like, are we going to do this next week too? I'm like, ah, okay, well, let's, let's do it next week, you know. And, and so um, still feeling very skeptical, still not very certain. Um, we started doing that on Sunday nights for a while, and... Um, and then the summertime came, and we were like, we don't know what we're really going to do. So we kind of suspended it for the summer and kept praying and felt like when the fall came, we, should, we need to keep doing it. So we kept doing it. And uh, a few more people came, and then a few less people came, and it was kind of fluctuating. But then it kind of gained a little bit of traction, and um, we went another little while, and then we started feeling like, well, man, we think God's in this. Uh, but we feel like it's more than just like a college ministry thing. We think he's going to do something with us in the city larger than that. So, so we started praying about praying about it, uh, which is a terrible, hilarious ring phrase to me that we were like, okay, we're, we're praying about praying about something. Okay, so, uh, so we prayed about praying about it, and then we felt good about praying about it, so we prayed about it, and we did the, the first 30 days of prayer, and... Uh, Came out of that feeling like we were going to be a church one day, but you kind of got the sense that it wasn't going to be soon, and that most of the people who were a part of it then were not going to be a part of it down the road. And uh, so we we kept on going. So so Jim Wallace he stepped out in faith, then I stepped out in faith, and brought in some other people who are also going to step out in faith. And so um, so we're collectively stepping out in faith, and then we're a bunch of twenty two year olds. Nothing against twenty two year olds who are like we're going to start a church one day, and everybody's like, yeah yeah, that's real cute, that's adorable. Y'all keep going, you know, whatever. But we kept going, you know. And then one day we look around, there's four hundred of us in the sanctuary at Parkview on Sunday nights. We're like, what is going on? Like, is this really could this really happen? And, um, and then, uh, then it tanked to like 100 people, like within three weeks, which is okay. And we got kind of nervous again. We we're like, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And so we've just tried to walk by faith for a long time. And then Parkview goes through all this drama, which some of you know. Um, at the exact time, we felt like it's about, we're going to go public with the church plant. We're working with the leadership there. Parkview just implodes, and there's just all this whatever. And... Uh, 
it really was like, what are we going to do now? You know, we've been walking by faith with this deal for years, and what do we do next? And everybody, like the Southern Baptist Convention, like you work with with Baptists at the national level, the state level, and the local level. At all three of those levels, saying, do not do this. This is the worst possible timing to plant a church. And we felt like God was like, nope, go. Keep going. Keep going. So we did. And uh, we didn't know where we were going to meet, so we met in the gym. And then they said, you got to go. So we're like, we don't know where we're going to meet. So we met on campus. And then we, people started having babies, like, all the time. And so we're like, we got to go somewhere else because there's too many babies to cram into a conference room, you know. And then God brought us here. And the thing is, like, you can... We go all the way back to Jim Wallace, and it was like, man, it was his step of faith that that was the first domino, and then some more people, and then some more people, and whatever. And, and I think that some of you, I, I believe, have benefited from Jim's step of faith in 1998. But it goes back before that, because Jim had been walking by faith, and there are people who invested in his life, and so someone led him to the Lord, so you can go back further than that, and someone led that person to the Lord, and you can go all the way back to Jesus. And then you can go all the way back to David, and then all the way back to Rahab, and then all the way back to Abraham, all the way back to, see what, see what I'm saying? That's how it works. It's constantly moving forward and cascading forward. And so here we are. I heard somebody say one time that we stand on the shoulders of giants. That that's, how the, that's how the church works. We stand on the shoulders of giants of faith who have stepped out there and said, I know this might sound crazy and I'm not sure like, what's going to happen next, but I believe this is what God wants me to do because you never know how he's going to use your obedient steps of faith to get someone's attention. And so I'm grateful that Jim Wallace had the courage to call up some random college student. I mean, he knew my parents, but we weren't like buddies or anything. He called me up, set up a meeting, and said, I just want you to pray about this. Like, I believe that my life is better because he had the courage to do that. And so, are we indebted to Jim Wallace? Well, in some ways, you'd be like, yeah, thank you. But greater than that, we should be thanking Jesus who had this plan for us. That we're here tonight because of just an infinite number of steps of faith that have gone before us. And who knows what's ahead? You don't know. I don't know. We talk a lot about the kids in the nursery over there and how we're, we're trying to make good decisions and be good stewards and reshape some things and make some adjustments, not just for what the ring looks like now, but what happens when they start taking our places, when they're leading our community groups, you know? That's what needs to happen, and that's what will happen. And so we want to make sure that we're, we're ushering them into a really healthy church family and not one that's full of dysfunction where they're like, Man, we're going to just like implode this sucker, you know, and let's like start from scratch. I want them to say, like, man, our parents were great stewards of the church, and now that we're taking over, we're going to continue on what's happened. We need to see it that way. We need to see that that's what God does. That's what God did in Rahab's life um, and in the life of those around. She, she acted in faith, not knowing what the outcome was going to be. That's the thing. Walking in faith is not contingent on knowing what's next. Walking in faith is, is it's confidence and assurance that whatever happens next, it's okay. it's okay. God told me to do this, so he's, however he wants to use it, that's fine. She didn't know the outcome. Jim Wallace didn't know the outcome. You don't know the outcome of kindness to your coworker. You have no idea. You have no idea the outcome of spending time in prayer, in the Bible, with your children. You have no idea. 
And it can't be contingent on, like, i got to know that they're going to turn out okay. Well, no, that's not the thing. That's not living my faith. Living my faith is God's told you to be the disciple of your kid. You disciple your kid. You let him, let him do with them what he wants to do with them. That's what we do. We take these steps. We don't have to know what's next. It's not contingent on that. Because you never know how God's going to use your obedient steps to get someone's attention. So that's the first point. Here's the second point. God always knows how he will use your obedient steps of faith to get someone's attention. See what I did there? You never know. God always knows. He always knows how he's going to use your obedient steps to get someone's attention. It's not random, you know. It's not random that he's leading you to do some things. He's putting some things on your heart that he's burdening you for someone, that he's giving you insight as to how someone is struggling or how you can care for someone. It's, 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 just, not, it's just not random. It's not random, like if you're a parent, that those are the kids that he's given you. It's not random that this is the church body that you're a part of. It's not random that this is the community group that you're a part of. It's, none of these things are random. He always knows how he's going to use that. Your coworkers, your roommates, the people you're in class with, however you want to look at it, none of it is random. You never know. God always knows how he's going to use your obedient steps to get someone's attention. Look, look again uh, at the end of verse 11. This is, this is how deep God used the Red Sea crossing in Rahab's heart. Her hearing about that. It says, The Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. The Lord your God, He is God, heavens above and earth beneath. She hears about the Red Sea crossing. Her heart is melted, and that's her conclusion. That's the for real God of everything. That's how it works. That's how it works. It's not how it always works, you know. You're kind to a coworker, they don't immediately like be like, I want to accept Jesus right this second, you know. It's not always how it works. But that's not on you, that's not on me. That's up to him. Our acts of kindness, our good works, the things that we are doing out of our love for Jesus and loving those that he loves, he uses that. So maybe some people's heart melts just I mean, instantly. Maybe some, it's a really, really slow, long, like super long process to melt them. But maybe it's, a, maybe it's like a thousand kind acts from Christians that slowly melt the heart. It doesn't matter. It's, that's up to him. What's up to us is to be obedient. And so... That's Rahab. Here's the thing about Rahab that uh, Rahab biblically was very unlikely as a as someone who's look, looked at as as a hero, you know, as a, someone to model your life after. There's three big things about her that make her unlikely biblically. One was her profession. All right. Uh, two is that she was a Gentile. Three is that she was a woman. Now back then. Being like a woman, like that was a, there was definitely like a second class kind of deal uh, that was going on. Gentiles were looked down upon by the Hebrews. And then her profession, she was, she was publicly a sinner by their, by their standards, you know. And so she was just a very unlikely candidate uh, for someone who were like, you know who you should model your life after? Rahab. 
It's not how, it's not how they thought back then. And you know what's, what's, what's a struggle is it's not how we think either, you know. Not, definitely not about the, like the female-male deal. I think we're, I think we've progressed in that, you know. Um, and the Gentile thing, we don't really understand that either. Uh, but, but there's just, there's something about the way that, that we tend to think. And see, all right, so you don't need to turn to it, but in Romans 3, um, there's, Romans 3 verse 10, this is what the Bible says. It says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And verse 23 says, uh, there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right? All have sinned, and all means all. So, that's profound, right? All means all. And so, the Bible is saying, okay, if, if you want to look at someone and label them as a sinner, you need to understand that every person that's born on this planet is born a sinner. And so we, we could just make a, if we were to like put everybody in one category, every name would go in that category. Sinner, right? Unrighteous, not worthy, whatever. That's how the Bible explains humanity. That apart from Jesus, that's the category everybody would go into. That no one has, has attained the righteousness of God in their own action. But, but what we tend to do is we tend to kind of... Kind of scale it out a little bit, you know? So you have one end of the scale that's like bad people, and the other end is like, you know, good people. And, and we, so we take people, and, um, and, and not we, and I don't mean to like say everybody thinks that way, because I know not everybody does. I know not everybody here does, because uh, I know God's been, been really breaking us of this, but this is a worldly way of looking at, at things, and it bleeds into the church sometimes, is to look at some people are super, super bad, and some people are super good. Um, so so you, you take folks, and whatever they look like, or whatever they do for a living, um, how much money they have or don't have, what they drive, uh, how they talk, where they're from, what they're going through right now, what their track record looks like, you know, all these statistics... Kind of, we tend to kind of place people on a scale, you know, from like being a bad person to being a good person, you know. So you're like, uh, on the on the like the bad side would be like, oh, yeah, people like Rahab, like yeah, like they're on the bad side, and then people on the good side is like, oh, like George Clooney, like he's like on the good side, you know. He's like has a lot of money, but does a lot of really great things with it, and he's nice looking and stuff like that, and and whatever, and like Oprah's his friend, so that puts him over here automatically because Oprah is awesome, and and so. Uh, so you have like here's like the, here's the really good people, um, and the, here's the really bad people, and then we kind of like figure out like uh, I think I'm kind of I think I'm kind of right here, you know. I'm no George Clooney, you know. Um, but at least I'm not a Rahab, you know. At least I'm at least at least I look different than than people on this side of the spectrum, or I make more money than they do, or I do this for a living, which is more respectable than that. It's not as respectable as over here, but I could be a lot worse, you know, whatever. And so there's, this, there's like these two really different ways of thinking. There's what the Bible says, and then there's what we, especially as Americans, tend to think. It's like this kind of sliding scale, you know. And so like, you know, almost like you have a really good week, you're, kind of, you're moving toward Clooney and Oprah down here, you know. You have a bad week, you're like, oh, I'm moving the other direction. I better turn things around. And, like, we're going back and forth all the time when the Bible says, no, 
Clooney, Oprah, Drew Brees, everybody that's super awesome and impactful in society, everybody's down here in the all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. No, not one. Everybody's here. And only Jesus changes this situation. And so when we look at Rahab, it's easy. Like some people, and I've heard it preached before, like, like God can use anybody. It's like, well, yeah, because we're all here. Rahab's here. I'm here. You're here. Everybody, the, whatever they look like, whatever they do for a living, whatever their gifts are, whatever, blah, 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 anything you want, everybody's here unless Jesus moves them out of here. Unless you place your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross, and he crosses you from death into life, that's the game changer. That's the only way that the game changes. And so we can't look at this and be like, man, you know, like even Rahab. It's like, no, it should be like even Josh. Even Jim Wallace, even you, even whatever. He can use anybody, and yes, absolutely. But it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that she's a woman, or that she was a Gentile, or that that was her profession. Those really aren't the things that we should focus on. We should be able to look and say, God used this Red Sea crossing to get her attention and to save her. God used their obedient steps to get her attention. And not only to save her, but you know what happened when, with her life? Like this was God's plan for this woman who was a, 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 she was a, a female Gentile prostitute. And this was, this was the plan for her life. Um, to hear about the God of Israel, her heart to be melted. She believed that he's the God of heaven and earth. She helped the spies. She was spared from the destruction of Jericho. She was brought into life in Israel. She married an Israelite. And you know who her great, great, grandchild was king david and you know who was further down the line from him jesus so in matthew 1 in the genealogy of christ you know whose name is there rahab's name is there now do you think those former slaves walking across the red sea on dry ground like come on let's go because the messiah is going to come from our lineage probably not They didn't know. God knew. He knew it all. He was ready to roll. And you know what happened after this? She made it into the hall of faith. We're talking about her all all this time later. She is a model of faithful living for us and has been for generations and will be until Jesus comes. And she'll be hanging on, on the new earth and you can go up and you can talk to her. And you can say, you know what? I'm so, so glad for your example. I'm so grateful for... The fact that word got to you about Jericho and God used that to open up your heart. I'm so grateful that you followed him obediently and through your lineage came our Savior who's here with us. We are living and reigning with him forever and ever. To think about the fact that you and me were being led by this Savior And he could use our obedient steps to get someone's attention and to have them be saved and to be redeemed. And then they're taking steps and people are saved through their steps. And then those people are taking steps through their... Think that the new earth is filled with people who are all there because of someone else's acts of faith, someone else's acts of faith. It was totally orchestrated by the Savior of the universe that we are all praising and worshiping and adoring. 
for me, that changes what tomorrow looks like, you know. It changes the way that I pray. It changes the way I look at casual encounters with people and stuff like that. And it changes the way that I'm intentional with folks. And so we gather in our community groups and we have that last portion where we're talking about who is God sending you to to minister? How can we be praying for those relationships? It's, this is the impact. This is, the, this is what we're, why we're doing it and what we're doing it uh, for. It's for Him and not for ourselves. And so I hope that we can grab onto this. And then we can realize that we don't, we don't know. He always knows. So he's not going to lead you into something fruitless. He won't. He won't. That's not how he works. And so let's, just, let's ask him to help it, this kind of stuff change our perspective on what it means to walk through life and to walk by faith and to take seriously bringing him into the things that we're going through. All right, let me pray for us as the band comes up and as we sing in response. Let two of us stand together as I pray. You just take just a second and maybe just think back to some of those whose acts of faith God used to connect with you. Maybe just ask him to remind you of some names or some faces or some things and just to be, just, just be grateful for just a second that, that that's how he works. Father, I'm grateful for those who have gone before us, for the ones whose shoulders we stand on in faith, and for the fact that that's how you work, and that nothing is wasted, nothing is random. That as we follow you forward in obedience, we don't have to know how you're going to use those things. Our only, our only concern is pleasing you as our Lord and as our Savior. We just want that smile on your face at the end of the day, saying, well done. So help us to not get hung up on having to know the outcome of everything, but just to be confident as we go forward, knowing that you're going to take these obedient steps, whether they're huge steps or baby steps, it doesn't matter. Whether they're things that seem uh, just so minute or things that seem to have like just massive impact, you use all that stuff. You work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, and that's us as your children. And so I'm grateful for Rahab, I'm grateful that on your new earth, We'll get to talk to her and give great testimony about how her, her acts of faith impacted us, even just on this night, but also before tonight and beyond. So help us, Lord, to do, really to see obedience and walking by faith through a different light. That we would continue to have more and more clear of a picture of what you have in mind when you call us forward.